creating the space to hear from those that work with children, young people and families from within our Baptist family and other experts. Joining the dots with Emma Moore and Claire Hooper. Hi Claire, it's great to be starting another podcast today and uh, I understand you were talking with Nigel. Um, I can't wait to hear all that he's brought but I do have to say Claire, it's ever so quiet your end. What's happened? So yeah, bad news, bad news on the budgie front uh, listeners. Um, So Donnie unfortunately uh, died and it turns out well I think we basically got well and truly ripped off with the budgie dealer and what we thought was a 13 month old budgie was probably more like seven um, years old and obviously budgies only have a very limited lifespan but I didn't know how you age a budgie so I was you know I was clueless with the whole situation so yeah all a bit quiet here but we we, we might get some more budgies um, at another time so we did, we did like I said we did have two then we have one and now we've got none so yeah all quiet here but, uh, but anyway, it made for an interview with Nigel that didn't have the chirping um, in the background. And uh, I've, I've never really, I've never met Nigel before. I've heard about him. Um, he's like, um, he's the education advisor for Youth for Christ and really involved in um, teaching and training people around chaplaincy. So lots of kind of this knowledge. And uh, I, I would definitely, I would really hope we can get him back as another guest because we missed out chatting about the theology of chaplaincy and the theology of schools work because um, we just got carried away talking about politics and educational policy and what's the philosophy that underpins education. Literally, I found it really fascinating. It was like listening to like a, an engaging kind of program on the radio or on TV or something. It was great. I really thought it was great. Oh, well, I for one, I'm going to miss the budgies um, and I'm sure our listeners are going to miss them as well. But I can't wait to hear what Nigel has to say because it sounded absolutely fascinating and um, yeah, just action packed, if that's the right word to use, uh, interview so and conversation. So without further ado, we're just going to hear what Nigel and Claire had that great conversation about. So we're really delighted today to have Nigel Roberts join us on our podcast. And uh, he wears a variety of hats. So I'm going to let him introduce himself. So Nigel, are you okay to say a little bit about what you do and what are the different hats that you are wearing? Yeah, sure. Uh, So yeah, Nigel Roberts. And uh, I work most of the time for Youth of Christ. I'm entitled uh, Education Advisor, but as part of that role, I'm seconded to CYM. Uh, the training organisation with a special remit for training chaplains in education um, at school and college. Uh, Also do some work with the West Midlands FE Council, Churches Together FE Council, uh, promoting chaplaincy in FE colleges and school uh, sixth forms. Um, For 17 years I was a community chaplain in a secondary school, uh, which I'm no longer uh, because I retired from that and uh, I'm a school governor in a primary school. So yeah, those are some of the hats I wear. 
So for me, it's a case of, well, where do we start? There's like so many possible conversations to be having. So I'm really excited to hear your perspective on a variety of things. So I was thinking, shall we start with chaplaincy? Because that's a bit of a, a buzzy thing going on with that at the moment, it seems to me. And you've obviously, um, I mean, 17 years is, is a good stint of being a chaplain on the ground. And you're obviously still involved in that world um, to some extent. So tell us how you've seen that kind of develop and, and where are we at at the moment with it? Uh, I think it has developed a lot. I think it's moved away from being considered to be an ordained person only ministry, which is, a, I think, a, a good thing. I think it's moved away from an independent school only ministry as well, which was very strong in independent schools. Um, I think its value has been seen as the theology of chaplaincy um, has evolved and gone from it just being about liturgy or evangelism and mission to a much broader sort of concept. Um, so that today there are chaplains all over the place in all sorts of schools and all sorts of settings and colleges as well. Uh, so, yeah, it has changed. Uh, the school where I was wasn't a faith based school. Uh, they didn't really want a chaplain to do traditional chaplaincy stuff. They wanted a chaplain to be a bridge to community and to forge new relationships in community. And if that included the local church, that was fine. Um, and that looked very different. But nowadays, I would say that is one of many expressions of chaplaincy that are fairly common. Mm. I love that because actually the thing of like the bridge to community it feels very kingdom and it, they mm. might kind of use different language to the schools but it's like the, it's like the values that we can kind of agree with with our kind of with our faith and so I think that's really fascinating did did the school have any problems with the term chaplain or did they see that as too Christian uh, they didn't like the term no uh, so they put the word community in front of it uh, <laughs> which made it sort of feel a bit better. So it was community chaplain. Uh, eventually the team, I was, I had a team uh, and we employed another person who was chaplain to the staff and that was just chaplain to the staff. So um, yeah, I think they felt it was quite Christian and excluding by its connotation really. They thought it might be excluding, but in fact it wasn't at all. But, uh, that was their fear. Um, interestingly, after 17 years and when I retired, they didn't replace me, which I really am very saddened by. Um, but, you know, I retired at the start of a pandemic. Uh, things being what they were, perhaps it wasn't the right thing to do. I don't know. Um, we'll see. But it's hard because it? schools, um, the emphasis can change on the support of the students and like the pastoral support depending on who the head is sometimes as well can't it and actually having yeah. to navigate all of those changes it can feel like starting from scratch again so it doesn't take much sometimes for a person like a personnel change can make a big impact on a church's involvement in a school um yeah maybe. yeah there was a, there was a new head uh, as i retired a new head had just come in uh who didn't know me hadn't the history of 17 years of working with community, wondered why all the local churches held their holiday clubs in the school building during the holidays, which is what one of the things I'd brought about. Why were they holding their civic services in the school hall? Um, didn't He didn't get it at all. And it, if I'd had longer, maybe he would have got it, but he didn't. So um, 
Yeah, personal changes are a massive breaks in, um, I suppose, uh, there's a really great phrase, the gossamer thread between churches and schools, that, that it's something that's so real, but easily broken. Um, somebody, it was a Jewish writer described the link between the Jewish priest and the Jewish school as being a gossamer thread that needed to be preserved. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we will go back to chaplaincy. We haven't finished with that, but just sort of it sort of seems to tie in with your role as a governor. So in that sense, could governors help? Um, I've never been one, but is that something that they could do in terms of pre preserving that, that thread and that relationship? Would that be part of their role? Or do you think actually that's beyond the scope of what a governor is able to do? Um, well, I can only speak from my own perspective, really. And it's a fairly new perspective. I've only been, I was, uh, I applied to the local authority and said, I'll be a governor in any school you want. And they said, oh, we've got a school in crisis. Um, they need to develop their ethos uh, to start with. Can you come and help with that? So instantly, I uh, and uh, the local vicar actually joined as well. So that we had two Christians on a, a very small governing body. And we were able to make a massive impact on developing an ethos that was based on Christian values and that we were then asked to monitor how well those ethos and value statements were being translated into the classroom. So over the next year, we will be spending time in school saying, well, where is the love and the grace that is part of your ethos being demonstrated in your maths lessons or your PE lessons in the classroom at lunchtime, after school clubs and whatever. So I think governors have this amazing opportunity to do stuff. Uh, and the other thing that has happened uh, being a governor is they've, they've asked quite often, uh, do I have any contacts who could come in and do X, Y and Z? Do I know anyone who could contribute to the RE curriculum, for example. Uh, is there a local church we can visit? Well, our local vicar was very happy to offer theirs. Um, are there people who could run after school clubs for us? Um, do I know any pastoral stroke counselling people who might be able to help? So yeah, I think the governor's role could be absolutely crucial, depending on how much time you have and how prepared you are to invest in supporting a school in that way. It is quite time consuming, I have discovered. <laughs> so are you saying it's a good job that you had to, or you that you retired from the chaplaincy, you created this sort of yeah, space for um, you? I was two, day, two and a half days a week uh, in the chaplaincy role. Uh, and uh, without that space, I wouldn't be able to. Well, I would still be able to be a governor. I'm not saying you can't be a governor and work. You can, um, but... When a school says, are you available to come in and monitor this classroom situation? Or can you come and talk to a member of staff who's having a breakdown? You're there, uh, which I can do, but you know, your average working person might not be able to do that. I do. I think it's so exciting though, in the sense that we have churches that are saying, oh, we've got no young people, we've got no children. And, and, and then they expect it to be able to maybe run something and then it's somehow going to attract loads of children and young people. And it's that's such an, a kind of a, an older model of, of how we might do children and families ministry. And I've also said, but you've got all these pupils in the schools, you know, and, 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 and I know you can't be um, overtly evangelizing. That wouldn't be right or anything like that. But you can. You, I mean, basically, you're influencing a whole culture of a school and you're being asked to keep it in check. And again, those values that you mentioned are very biblical or very godly and um I, I, and I just think that's such an opportunity um 
we kind of we're, we're, we're okay I think it's some of the I'm, I'm sure it's a bit of a mixed bag but the face-to-face -face interaction with the students and with the staff and and going into the schools and I'm just thinking oh it'd be great if we could just do a little bit more around actually how we might shape the culture and be involved in that conversation um for a school so just hearing what you've said I was like oh my gosh it's I mean that's exciting <laughs> it's really exciting um I was at a meeting when was it this week uh Wednesday of this week uh we had a governor's meeting and uh, we know we've got an offset coming. So the first question that we were asked is, is our ethos embedded in our curriculum? And, and that's such a key thing. And it's, it's really interesting. I, I mentioned maths and um, maths is a subject the school I'm in is not doing very well in. Uh, but how does love, respect, grace show itself in a maths lesson? Well, it might be in the way you choose um, the examples you're looking at in, in your maths problems. You might uh, sort of focus those in a sort of Christian way if you wanted to. But really, how does a teacher interact with a student who just doesn't get it? Mm. Uh, and I think actually the school I'm at does it really, really well. Um, Trevor Cooling wrote a book many years ago called Doing God in Education, right. which was stunning on this very topic. And, uh, has been very influential, I think, in my approach to it. But yeah, um, if you've got the time and if you feel this is what you're being called to, and I definitely felt this was an extension of my calling. Um, as far as I am aware, there is a shortage of governors across this country. Yeah, so. no, that, that's uh, that's great. So big plug out there for the, for being a, a school Indeed. governor. Yeah. <laughs> and so going back to, to your role like as chaplain and, and the teaching that you do on that so where would you say we're at now with chaplaincy what would your perspective be on that and, and can you comment on like primary schools are there is that an area where they're, they're kind of drawing on that and secondary schools and also that i know you're really keen on the further education and the opportunities that we have there yeah well. um i mean there, there are loads of issues around it that the church is really jumping on this uh in a big way so for example, the Anglican Church recently has done a, a report on FE, really pushing it very hard. And only today I've had, you know, conversations with the Bishop of Aston, who's saying, what can we do in my area to promote um, chaplaincy and all the rest of it? And everybody's suddenly really keen. But I'm not sure the church is entirely ready yet for providing the kind of chaplaincy that would be of value to a school. Now that is a really quite a harsh thing to say. Um, just because you're a good youth worker doesn't mean you're going to be a good chaplain. So that's why I think, for example, in CYM, we've been pushing training. Um, I work with uh, an organization called the Center for Chaplains with Children and Young People, which is a sort of loose uh, affiliation of people. And we've produced working standards for chaplains that you can go to school and say, look, here's a set of 12 standards that everybody uh, who's going to work in chaplains with children and young people should really adhere to. Um, and we train people to those standards so that when a school says, I'd like a chaplain, whatever that means, whatever model they've got in their mind, and there are so many different models, they know that the person they get will have been experienced to some degree, trained to some degree, and be working in a professional manner as they would expect of anybody mm. working in their school. And I think that's a really important part that as this push to chaplaincy uh, occurs, we also at the same time resource that mm. initiative. 
so that schools can have confidence in the integrity of those they're uh, getting on board in their schools and classrooms and colleges. Yeah, no, that's um, great. You asked about primary and it's not my area of expertise, but ironically, that is where I am a governor in a primary school. Uh, and my experience of primary school schools work is limited, to be honest. But what I am seeing is primary school chaplaincy is growing really rapidly, not so much in individual schools, but a group of schools, a little family of schools, maybe that feed into the local high school or secondary school, or whatever, will have a chaplain shared between them. Mm. So uh, I'm trying to think of places down your way uh, in Bristol area. There's some really good ones in the Hereford. And you can say about the North as well. This is this is for this is a national podcast, so you, it, we're not okay. we're not limited just. Yeah, to there's, well, there are Stoke on Trent <laughs> is just brilliant. For example, some really good examples of primary school chaplaincy there, uh, which I, I, I really like. Um, as I say, Hereford, some really good examples there. Cornwall, um, some good examples there. So across the country, people are seeing it will look different. One of the things that really gets me is when you mentioned the word chaplaincy, the automatic assumption, like you, you alluded to at the beginning, is oh, this will be a chaplain who does assemblies, contributes to RE and maybe does a bit of pastoral care. Well, that is one model, but there are loads of other models and there's a a theology that allows us to do all sorts of different things that we can do. So um, primary school chaplaincy can look very different to secondary school chaplaincy or FE college chaplaincy, which might have a more multi-faith dynamic, for example. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love the multi-faith aspect as well for, for, for chaplaincy and, and that kind of openness. I'm aware of someone that's, you know, doing a, a multi-faith prayer space and the school have asked and requested that and say so that kind of that that working and, and it's a, a church is just needing to kind of maybe get out of their comfort zone a little bit. I mean, obviously some church would be really great at it, but others is kind of catching up. But this kind of really makes me, as you were talking, I was thinking, I know of a lot of obviously youth workers and children's workers and um and we're really trying to encourage them to do the continued ministerial development or professional practice, kind of continuing that and encouraging churches to invest in that. And this could be one of the ways in which actually they're really equipping their local um, children's worker or youth worker. And um, and that's really that'd be really wonderful. I just kind of want to put a plug out for that, because sometimes churches receive a, a children's youth and families worker. and They work with them, but they don't actually help them develop in their own skill set. And so this is a real opportunity, isn't it, for, for people to be able to develop in their ministry? I think so. And there are quite a few really good organisations out there. So I mean, obviously the CYM who I work with, but there's a fairly new organisation called the Centre for Chaplaincy and Education, uh, which is a really good supportive organisation that works alongside Newman University uh, to provide training as well. So there are, there's no excuse not to find something that suits your context yeah. and suits your timetable as well, really. Uh, when I worked in a school, I was forever going on courses. Uh, it, it was slightly annoying. I was always having to go to inset days and training for this. And every Thursday after school was a training um, session, two hours. And, that, and yet when I go to my youth work setting, I could go years without anything other than going to Soul Survivor or whatever it might, might be, which is good and encouraging, but isn't skill specific yeah. content specific training um and the stuff out there is really really good 
there's some amazing people out there. Yeah, no, it's exciting. And I kind of don't want the Baptists to miss out on it in that way, because I know it's, it's in terms of the Anglican, there's a much more kind of coordinated um, around chaplaincy and, and in education. And there's people that are kind of paid to help coordinate that. Whereas obviously in our Baptist world, we're kind of on, on the ground and it's sometimes hard to network up, isn't it? So I just really encourage people to, it is, not, be yeah. nice, not to be isolated, but to network where they can. I mean, I in the Baptist, I mean, I go to a Baptist church uh, where I live in Ashby and uh, a member of our congregation felt called to be a chaplain came to see why I'm under a degree with a BA with chaplaincy and the BU the EMBA it was for us um, allowed her to become a chaplaincy specialist mm. uh, and she was ordained as a chaplaincy specialist and I just thought um, the not so much the freedom but 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 the grace that was accorded her to, to, to take that route and to have that ordination which in her case in a hospital chaplaincy with young people in particular uh was essential actually mm. uh, was just brilliant and i think that's a really good model in the baptist union mm. one that i think is worth duplicating elsewhere really um like there used to be well i presume there still are the youth specialist ordinations you can have chaplaincy ordinations yeah, so you're actually you're talking to a youth specialist. I am a youth specialist, and um, but they, they did stop that category, which is is is, is 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 gutting in one way. But what they did do was broaden out their understanding of what Baptist ministry might look like. So rather than kind of segregating people and putting them into their sort of box or anything like that, they're sort of saying we recognise that Baptist ministry comes in all shapes and sizes. So whether that's children's youth, chaplain, pioneer, um seniors what, whatever it might look like we want to kind of recognize that that breadth and that range I think we're probably still trying to catch up with ourselves with that we kind of we've got the ideal but you know it's it's sometimes harder to make help people realize that ministry is all different and it doesn't all involve preaching and uh and cups mm -hmm. and cups of tea so that's been really mean isn't it I'm being very dismissive there I I'm all for a cup of tea and a good chat so I'm, I'm not belittling um <laughs> pastoral care in that way I know it's much more than that um I was, is it okay to so we talk about your role in terms of with the Youth for Christ and the education yeah, yeah, yeah. advisor? What, what is your remit with that? Uh, it's fairly broad because we have um, within Youth for Christ uh, a school's advisor as well who is very core specific, which is uh, there. Um, probably about 80% of Youth for Christ centres work in schools. So they're doing uh, primary, secondary and uh, FE work some work in universities as well. Uh, they need training. So I provide quite a lot of that training, uh, input on latest school policies and the impact that might have, what's happening in RE. So the Commission on Religious Education's proposals uh, that yeah. came out at the end of last year. What does that mean for Youth Christ? What does it mean for centre workers? What might that look like? Um, how can we rethink schools work away from that traditional mo model of assemblies uh, and so on. So uh, one of the initiatives we're looking at at the moment, for example, is peer chaplaincy. Can a local centre work with a school to create a peer chaplaincy movement? That would include mentoring as well as input to assemblies, et cetera, et cetera, if that's what they wanted. Um, all sorts of things, really. Ethics Club, that's one of the things Youth of Christ does at the moment, which became very big in the pandemic. Uh, so. Yeah, and we also run REQuest, which is uh, the biggest go-to website for Christianity for school teachers across the country, right. uh, which is a pretty amazing resource. Just been relaunched 
this week, funnily enough. Uh, so yeah, Bev Smith is the person who's uh, responsible for that and uh, for the majority of day-to-day -day work. And I, I come in with a sort of slightly senior head, uh, older head, not senior head, um, to talk about these things really. Yeah, someone's got to read the policy, so it's good that someone does that on people's behalf and gives them the highlights. Yeah. Um, I, I was listening to this. Uh, I've got to this. I love Ray J. Four. I was thinking the thirties was all about beginning to like gin and olives, and then the forties for me has all been about Ray J. Four. I just think it's amazing. And um, they was doing a, a series on education, and um, somebody was reflecting. I thought oh, I've never this has never dawned on me um, that it would be so much better if we had cross party kind of. Um, educational policies in that sense because the the teacher was reflecting that with changes in parties and all that and the other they always then make changes in their education and how difficult that is for a, a teacher because actually there's no longevity in, into some of the policies so we can't really see what the impact is and, and that kind of thing I thought oh yeah that's really obvious I never I never thought of that um have you got I'd, I'd like to hear what would your thoughts be on that um I I would be in support of that I I mean, one of the things I, I teach on at CYM is educational theory and policy. And what is really clear is all those people who write about education and know about education have a vision for education that is totally different from what is actually happening in your average classroom. And, and the baseline question is, what is education for? What is the purpose of this? And don't want to be political, but some governments will say the purpose of education is to create economic capital. Ultimately, we are educating people for work so that they will earn money, so they will pay into uh, the larger pot for the whole country, etc. Um, Italian education system, when they're answering that question, uh, what is the purpose of education? It's to make good citizens, which I find a remarkably freeing and wonderful thing to say. Uh, and I would love that if that was the case. But what you see is um, there is a body of opinion, I think, which looks at education and its purpose, which is all about a much more holistic approach, uh, a much more social capital as opposed to economic capital approach. And, and if we could get a cross-party agreement that this is the best kind of education, and that was the fundamental answer to the question, what is education for? Then you can tinker with that depending on your party perspective. Mm. But the underwriting of it all, the underpinning of all educational policy for the future will be the same. Mm. If, I don't know if I've explained that very well. No, but, it's, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I, I love educational theorists. I love learning styles theory uh, and I know some people don't think it works some people think it does uh, and I'd love to see it all there in our mm. education system and um, I could talk for hours about it but I won't. No no it's, it's, it's good and it's really interesting and um, it, on this program it was they kind of had two philosophies pitched against each other really and there's one teacher that was so clearly child-centered and then the other teacher was very knowledge-centered and so it was this kind of and obviously you go to swing there is learning that <laughs> needs to take place but it was really funny where the sort of slight the emphasis or the undercurrents were in, in how they communicated and it just made me think that's a massive world out there isn't there in terms of educational theories and and, and that kind of thing and I, I, I like you I find it very interesting um, but I must remember that not, maybe not everybody is like us and <laughs> and um because I also think it's really interesting when you think about it in relation to preaching and um oh, yeah, totally yeah 
I, it's, and yeah, I think there's so much learning to happen. But um, I talked to, uh, I did some bit of research in it and the expert preacher that I was interviewing for my piece that I was writing basically was like educational theories, interesting and learning theories are interesting, but they don't really apply to preaching. It was, I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> Timothy Keller, uh, who writes a lot on preaching, he would certainly hold that point of view, but I've come across other people who have applied it to their, you know, to some extent. Uh, I certainly apply it to mine. Yeah. So if you come to one of my church services, you would see different styles. Well, I don't know if you've come across David Chinos's spiritual styles yeah. idea. Uh, I try and apply that in my services. Yeah, so, mm. yeah. No. So he, he uh, for those of you who don't know, he sort of was sort of saying, I can't remember the images that he used, but it's basically the, speaking to the head, speaking to the heart. Those yeah. that are wanting action and the sense of mystery as well. So yeah. actually yeah. combining those four things um, is it, it, beautiful for both for children and for adults. So I, I think um, with children's and youth ministry, I, I kind of work with adults in the same way because I, I figure actually, I mean, some of the, some of the things are different, but we all want to engage in different ways. It doesn't. It's not like we turn eighteen and suddenly we can only cope with just sitting there and listening. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's very true. And, and you've mentioned about the FE kind of stuff, and that's a particular kind of passion and a heart that you have for that. Can you say tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not sure what it is, but it's the great area of neglect in church's ministry and mission. I think cross country, there will be exceptions and pockets of exceptions. But when you think there are millions, quite literally millions of 16 to 19 year olds who going through their school will have experienced um, morals and ethics or religious education, collective worship, and had some connection uh, with the spiritual dynamic. Then they come to an FE college, which will be multi-faith. Um, there will be tutorials which will look at SMSC and things like that, but they will very rarely come across any representative of the Christian faith in, in any shape or form. And chaplaincy in, a, in FE is, it, it does exist, but it's, it's quite hard to spot sometimes. There are exceptions, but uh, it's quite hard to spot. And yet, 16 to 19, world, world changes, people... Mm really questioning people with great needs, the whole mental health uh, issues quite often find they're sort of coming to a head in that age group. Where is the church? That's what I ask. Where is the church? In this? Is it because the 16 to 19 year olds and they're quite intimidating? Primary school is so much easier and nicer and they say good morning. Is it because <laughs> Uh, the college is so multi-ethnical and multicultural and all the rest of it, and that's confusing and difficult. Or is it because the opportunities are so much broader and you don't have the experience, really? Mm. You know, you can't do an assembly, which they don't have. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I'd love to see churches doing more. In fact, only this morning before coming on this uh, podcast I was uh, talking with someone to see if we couldn't create an FE College prayer day for the churches across the country uh, and for churches to begin to form prayer support groups for the local college in the way that pray for schools works uh, for schools and so on it's so neglected I've had two daughters go through FE and so appreciative of all that they do at FE for those children 
uh, our neediest young people go there. So uh, a lot of our SCND children end up in a, an FE college. Where is the church? I'll keep asking that question. No, that's great. And that's a really good kind of challenge for us because I was thinking, actually, we never, I, I live in Wokenham, never engaged with Wokenham. Okay. Bracknell would be our college. And yeah, and then we, we didn't. And you, so I think it's a really, really good question. And some really, a real opportunity for some um, ecumenical work as well in that way and, and, and joining up, it, up in that. Do you think the colleges would be receptive to stuff? Would it be similar to like a school or do you think it, that, that that might be tricky? Um differs from place to place. So Nuneaton College in uh, Warwickshire have a, has a Christian principal, has a wonderful chaplaincy, really effective, other colleges less so. Offering yourself as a Christian to be a chaplain when there's a very high proportion of other faiths there uh, is counterintuitive for the principal to say yes to that. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's as easy, but if you have a portfolio that says, actually, I'm here to do whatever you want, uh, you know, quoting Jesus, talking to Bartimaeus, what would you like me to do for you? I will be that chaplain for you. I will have a model of chaplaincy that is servant-hearted and we will start from that position. Um, I think that's a starting point. Uh, I don't know about across the country, how many Baptist chaplains there are in FE colleges. I don't think it's many. No. I really don't think it's many. Um, but I'm hoping to see it grow. Okay. Well, we're definitely putting a plug out there for it. And, and I think yeah. just even asking that question helps people to stop and think and ponder and wonder what if, what they could do. And and so thank you for kind of raising it. And it's I, I, I love it that... Um, obviously God's given your heart and you know you, you you speak so beautifully and wonderfully about it all and um yeah so God's obviously at work do you know in that sort of sense he's like trying to stir, I really stir, hope stir so. people I up. really hope so <laughs> um yeah and and uh, I, I there's a place called Colville near where I live here in Leicestershire and um my daughter who has special needs was at that college and she was a Christian and she asked the principal can I have a Christian union here to support me because I'm the only and because of that they invited the local Youth for Christ Centre actually to come in and although jo Joanna my daughter was the only person who met in that Christian union for a year the commitment of the Youth for Christ Centre by being there led to them being invited to do tutorials and then led to them being allowed to um, walk the corridors in a ministry of presence kind of way and a ministry started from that moment. And I just think that my wonderful special needs daughter, who's not the most gifted evangelist in the world by any means, you know, she's got learning difficulties, somehow was at the heart of this and God did something amazing. And I think that's possible everywhere, really. That is a bit of a plug and it sounds a bit preachy, but. Oh, I, just, I, was, I was just thinking that's a fantastic story to end on. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Uh, a story of empowerment, a story of actually the young people themselves creating the spaces that they need. I mean, that's what we're about. So that's just uh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful that. and wonderful. So thank you so much. Like I say, for giving your time. For, uh, I've loved this conversation. It's been like really lovely. I didn't have a cup of tea. I should have had a cup of tea because this has felt like a two people who have 
only just met, but we're catching up with and, and pondering yeah. the education system and chaplaincy and the role that the churches might play. So thanks very much, Nigel. Thank you very much, Claire. So, Emma, how did you find that? What did you think? Gosh, I was just bowled over by that interview and that conversation. Um, so much material, so much information to take on board. And I've got to say, it's been a long time since I actually stopped and started to reflect and think about the philosophy that underpins the education system. So, um, you know, it's given me an awful lot of food for thought. And um, yeah, I think I need to actually probably listen to quite a lot of that again to to really start to engage with that again and, and for our churches I think this is really really important for them to to get on board with and to start exploring and um, unwrapping really in terms of how they approach their their relationship and conversation with schools. Yeah I find it really interesting that um, there's a guy called Boffenbrenner he talks about the different kind of contexts and how the the con and how the contexts are held and so obviously one of the contexts is the classroom and I think churches can automatically think about classroom or the assembly and that kind of direct contact um, in that way with the child and then fail to think about the culture of the school which then will obviously impact what happens in the classroom and how the teachers interact and priorities and that kind of thing and then the the policies that are set that impact that culture and so it kind of just the sort of circles get wider don't they the ripples get wider and it'd be just so great if we have more Christians involved at every kind of level so that there is that kind of good news aspect in all of um, the education system and school life right down to the classroom then and I just think that's just a, an absolutely amazing kind of picture or image in that sort of way so yeah oh, I'm pleased that you found him really interesting because I really did like I say I definitely want him back again for a round two um to sit to unpick some more of that theology that'd be wonderful I'd, so, I'd really look forward to hearing round two I gotta be honest um but as I say you know I'm going to be listening to this one again to to try and glean some more for our listeners I wonder what stood out for you I wonder what your next step is. And I wonder who else might join this conversation with you. Until next time. Keep joining those dots. Mm -hmm.